0: Throughout the story of the Bible, God is on a mission to draw near to humanity, to dwell among us. And this is the gift God gives Israel when he fills the tabernacle with his presence. And what Israel discovers is that God's holiness is both good and dangerous.
1: Now that God has come to live among his people, that causes a crisis because there's a collision between God's holiness and the impurity and death among
0: Israel. God provides an answer in the Day of Atonement where Israel's sins are cast out into the wilderness. And this radical gift, it begs a question. If the Holy One, the source of all life and goodness and beauty, lives in the middle of our camp, how should we live? How should we treat each other? What we find is that God gives many rules and rituals. And at the heart of all of them is God's desire to transform Israel. And at the center of it all, is a practice we call the Sabbath. The weekly Sabbath and then the monthly annual rhythms
1: teach the Israelites that their lives and their time are not their own, that their whole existence as a people is dedicated to the purpose of becoming holy.
0: Become holy as I am holy. Sabbath is about resting, but it's more than that. It's an opportunity to stop providing for yourself and to trust that God will meet your needs. And so perhaps it won't be a surprise to find out that while God gives many practices to transform Israel, Sabbath is right at the center.
1: The practice of justice for the vulnerable, the practice of mercy and generosity, and of personal moral integrity, they're all bound together as one way of life with one story underneath them. And so Sabbath and holiness are
0: really inextricable. I'm John Collins. Today, Tim Mackey and I begin the third movement of Leviticus. We talk about holiness, love for God and neighbor, a surrendered life, a life of mercy and justice. And at the center of it all, Sabbath. Thanks for joining us. Here we go. Hello, Tim. Hey John, hello. Hello, we are in the book of Leviticus. Mm-hmm. We have been, yeah, for a little bit of time now. Quite. Wait,
1: this is our seventh
0: seventh episode in Leviticus. This is our seventh
1: episode in Leviticus, because <laughs> we've done three in the first movement, uh-huh. three of the second movement. We're beginning the third movement of Leviticus, and this is our first conversation of three mm. on the third part. So this yeah. is conversation number seven.
0: Mm. Three sets of three conversations is also kind of biblical, right? Oh,
1: in so biblical <laughs> we're so biblical right now <laughs> yeah yes this is our seventh conversation on leviticus and uh for many people the fact that you could ring out of a book like leviticus so much i'm using a metaphor like wringing water out of a you know like a washcloth
0: yeah i feel like the washcloth is still pretty soaked oh we yeah have not oh yeah wrung this thing much no
1: no, we just, we're just skimming, skimming the surface to use a different, entirely different metaphor. So yeah, we are here entering into uh, the third and final movement of the Leviticus scroll that goes from chapters 17 through 27. And I think my first help to just do a quick overview of the whole scroll and how it fits into the Torah, but then also the previous two movements, because they had a real coherence and closure. Mm -hmm. moments. And so when we come to Leviticus 17, we open up a new horizon in the scroll. It's a significant step forward in the developing themes and argument of the book. Yeah. And we are going to focus in on just one main theme for this section. There are many themes going on and I'll play tour guide and point different things out. But the main thing that corresponds to a theme video that we made and that corresponds to the reader's journey that we've created for people to experience within the Bible Project app. Uh, The focus theme is Sabbath. Sabbath. Sabbath, or the seventh day. Yeah. Yeah, the video we made is called Sabbath, but it's about the seventh day rest throughout the
0: whole story of the Bible. So you'll be tracing that theme. We'll be tracing that theme. Mm -hmm. In the app, you can also unlock that theme, and we're gonna see it at work Mm -hmm. here Mm -hmm. in the third movement. Yes, of Leviticus. Leviticus.
1: Uh, but first, let's get a bird's eye view before we dive into the details. So the book of Leviticus began from the launch pad of the last paragraph of the previous scroll, which was Exodus. And there God came to dwell and live among his people, fire and glory, hovering over this beautiful sacred tent that got built at the foot of Mount Sinai. And The relationship between Yahweh and his people, however, has already become fraught with problems because the people have already broken the covenant relationship they made with a God who wants to live with them, like within 40 days of having agreed to it. That's the golden calf episode.
0: Yeah. Would it be worth backing up even further, just if someone's coming in, Mm -hmm. Mount Sinai... God's people. Yeah. What? Okay. All right. What's, what's happening? <laughs> all right. We're going macro. We're going big. Yeah. Real big. It's it's helpful for me too. Okay. Good. Resituate. That's me.
1: good. In the beginning, <laughs> God created the skies and the land. So the biblical story begins by trying to invite the reader into viewing the world they inhabit in a particular way by telling the story of our world with a particular take or slant. And the slant goes like this. We live in a beautiful world, packed full of potential that has been ordered, Mm -hmm. which is why it's not a perpetual disorganized chaos. And God has appointed among all the creatures of the land, one particular species to be a partner, an image of God's character and purpose here in the world, human beings. They're given an ideal setup, an abundant opportunity but also are faced with a choice about how they're going to partner with God and rule the world on God's behalf. The humans make a really poor decision, uh, but not entirely uh, of their own doing. They're deceived by a dark, mysterious force of evil at work, trying to thwart God's purposes. And so uh, the human rulers um, make a stupid mistake and find themselves separated from the life and presence of God that wants to dwell on earth. So that's Adam and Eve exiled from Eden, which is like a sacred garden on a mountain, high place, protected now by angelic beings and fire.
0: The place that they were, which you're saying is the ideal setup, yeah. which the Bible calls a garden in Eden. Yep. They no longer have access. Mm -hmm. It's actually guarded by angels and fire. Yeah, totally. So this is a story about like, humanity's origins yeah it's also
1: the introduction to the hebrew bible which are the scriptures of a particular people group okay so it's the introduction to a story of the world but told from the vantage point of this people group and its convictions about the world which they believe are a gift from god they believe that how they tell the story is how the god of the universe tells the story it's quite a bold claim yeah to make a about a collection of scrolls, but there you go. That's the claim. That's certainly what Jesus believed about these scrolls, but that's getting way ahead of ourselves. So what God uh, does is he allows human folly to keep spiraling because he honors the dignity of these image-bearing creatures. But at the same time, God keeps stepping in to prevent the worst from happening until the violence of humans gets so out of control. God allows the world to descend into chaos and disorder and so, just as God brought order by separating the waters of chaos at the beginning, God allows the waters of chaos to collapse back in due to human violence. Cosmic collapse, otherwise known as the flood. <laughs>
0: I thought you were going to say otherwise known as Armageddon.
1: Oh, <laughs> um, well, that's another kind of flood. But in Greek, the Greek Septuagint, the word flood is translated with the Greek word kataklusmas, which is where we get
0: our... English word cataclysm. That's where we get our. Oh, I thought you were going to say Santa Claus. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we get Chris Kringle. Cri- <laughs> Santa, Santa cata, Cruz. Cata, cata, Cataclysmus. Cataclysmus. Okay, that okay, was way off. Way, way off.
1: Yeah, way off. Way off. Not Kris Kringle, but a uh, cataclysm. <laughs> cataclysm. Cataclysmic disaster.
0: Oh, so the word flood, that is a cataclysmic yeah. event.
1: The collapse of order in the cosmos. However, what God does is single out one family from among that cataclysm, and through them, gives them a new chance to do the Garden of Eden, rule the world as God's partner on the other side of the cataclysm. That's Noah, and Noah and his family replays the failure of Adam and Eve and their children. The cycle starts beginning where God keeps selecting one out of the many, gives them a chance to represent him and partner with him. They blow it, ushering their community, their family, their own lives into violence, chaos, strife of some kind that God honors. What do you mean he honors? Oh, well, God honors humans' decisions to screw up their lives.
0: He doesn't step in right away. and
1: Not all the time. Sometimes but not all the time, which is really annoying for a lot of biblical authors. That's why there's so many poems in the book of Psalms that begin with people frustrated with God. Mm. Like, why do you let it go on this long? Uh, yeah. Oh Do something. Yeah. Rise up, O oh Lord. Deliver. Save. You know, that kind of thing. Those are people that are watching the cascade of human violence and evil spiral. They're watching the flood yeah. like they're, begin. They're watching innocent blood soak the land. Like before the flood. Oh, before the flood, yeah. And they're asking for God to rise up and do something. Yeah. Bring evil to a cataclysmic end, but save your chosen ones Mm -hmm. so that you can fulfill your promises through them. So this is a melody that's on replay over and over and over again, replaced many times through the Genesis scroll, through the Exodus scroll. Now in Leviticus, God's chosen one family out of all the nations, the family of Abraham. And appointed them to be his kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He brought them out of slavery, through the wilderness, and then to the foot of this mountain, Mount Sinai. So there God invited all of them. Actually, this is really relevant for the section of Leviticus we're talking about. God said to all the people in Exodus 19, here, I'll just read it. We've read this passage many times over the years, but it is super important. This is Exodus chapter 19, verse 4. God says to the sons of Israel, you all have seen what I did to the Egyptians, that is your oppressors, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, I carried you through the wilderness, and I brought you here to myself at this sacred mountain. Now then, if you will shema shema, listen, listen, to my voice and keep my covenant, we're about to enter into a a partnership. A sacred agreement. Yeah, sacred agreement, yeah. So listen to my voice, honor the agreement that we're about to make. And then if you do that, you shall be my special possession among all the nations. Because listen, all the land is mine. I could work with a lot of people here, (laughs) but I've chosen you. You'll be my special possession and y'all will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Mm. And those two concepts
0: are key for this third and final movement Mm. of Leviticus. Okay. Kingdom of priests. Mm -hmm. There are priests from the line of Aaron. Yes. Aaron is Moses's brother. Mm -hmm. He's the high priest. We met his four kiddos. Mm -hmm. That's right. So God selected Moses's older
1: brother and his four sons to be the priests within the kingdom of priests. Yeah. So if all of Israel are priestly representatives for all the other nations then within the kingdom of priests, there is a special family of representatives. Representatives within the representatives.
0: Now, this idea of being priests within priests, Mm -hmm. is that anywhere else thought about and talked about in the Hebrew Bible? That everyone's supposed to Mm. be a priest in some sense?
1: It uh, it is. It's actually explored on the other side of Leviticus in the stories of Numbers that we're going to be looking at in future conversations. Okay but there it's clear that god's desire is to pour out his spirit on all of his people mm. so that they all could speak the words of god to each other and listen to the voice of god but because of israel's continual cycle of failure and covenant betrayal god keeps selecting out a smaller and smaller group among the family okay but still calling all so It's the idea of within the many who are all together to be representative priests before the nations. He selects one particular family and there'll be the priests who work in and around the tent. And all of what they're doing is a ritual liturgical drama Mm -hmm. that symbolically tells a story about who they are among the nations. So who the priests are among Israel is a ritual drama showing all the Israelites every day what Israel is to be among the nations.
0: That's cool, and that brings us up to speed too, and mm-hmm. where we're at. In that, God gave them designs for this yep. tent, yeah, the tabernacle, yeah. And this is where all this ritual mm-hmm. happens, and That's where right. God Himself comes to dwell, yeah.
1: And it's depicted as a, a portable micro Eden. <laughs> it's a microcosmos, as yeah. it were. It's both Eden, but also an image of all the heaven and earth. God came to live among His people in fire, cloud, and It's good, but it's also dangerous. And so when uh, the cloud touches down over the tent at the end of the Exodus scroll, Moses, the one who has been going in and out of the divine presence on the people's behalf, he can't go in. It's sort of like you buy a brand new car. (laughs) It won't start. And then the first day, right, that you like, yeah, you go to drive and it's yours. And you're like, the doors won't unlock. That's more, you can't get in. (laughs) You can't even get in. You can't even get in. Yeah. So how do I get in?
0: This is how the fob you... fob batteries are dead. Totally. Yeah.
1: So um, Leviticus chapters one through seven, the first movement is God giving to Israel new batteries
0: for the key fob. You know, there actually, there's a little key in the fob. Have you ever yes, used that? Yes, there is in mine too. Yeah. Yes. I had to call the dealership and they had to tell me about that. I was like, how do I get in my car? <laughs> <laughs> a I have a key. battery. they're like, there's a key in there. <laughs> yeah, totally. I was like, oh, sweet. Yeah. Sorry. You no, know, it was fine. So, um... Moses didn't have the special key. He didn't have the
1: key. God (laughs) gave him. God gave reveals to him in what we call Leviticus 1-7, through a whole network of symbolic offerings. They also tell a story of Israel's complete surrender to the presence and will of God, about fostering an attitude of constant gratefulness, giving back to God what God has given to me. But then also... An invitation from God, even though the Israelites are morally flawed and betrayers of the covenant, God wants them to come near. And so he gives them these substitute animals whose life can be offered up and surrendered on their behalf. A blameless life can die and so rise up to God and smoke into the heavenly throne room and appeal to God on behalf of People who are not blameless mm. and god says i'll accept the intercession of that blameless substitute so that you all can live near me my good and dangerous presence
0: the takeaway that i love to come back to on that is that while this was a normal ancient ritual the other nations that do this they're trying to like appease the gods mm. and oh. they never know like is this enough like am i sacrificing enough do i need to even like cut myself do i need sure. to sacrifice a kid like there's just kind of like all this mm-hmm. drama around like, mm. how do I know that this yeah. Elohim is actually going to be on my side? That's right. But yeah. these are presented as a gift from Yahweh mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. saying like, here's what you could do and know that I will be with you. Yeah,
1: that's right. Yeah. God says in actually Leviticus 17, which we'll start with in this conversation, God says, I have given you these sacrifices to cover for your failures.
0: Yeah, which is backwards.
1: Yeah, normally it's a human offering a sacrifice to God and God says, no, I've given the sacrifices to you to give to me <laughs> because I want you to come near. Mm. And that's, yeah, that's the heart of God revealed here in the sacrifices and offerings.
0: So that's the first movement of that's Leviticus. It's the first movement, yep.
1: And so the second movement begins with the tent being inaugurated, the priests being ordained in a seven-day ritual It echoes Genesis 1, so Aaron and his sons become like the new humanity recreated over seven days to work in the new Eden. And on the first day on the job, the eighth day, Aaron's sons decide to just rewrite the whole liturgy and take the place of their dad by doing what God had asked their dad to do, but just deciding they're going to do it on their own by taking unauthorized incense fire into the tent. And so, in Leviticus chapter 10, those sons die. God's good and dangerous holiness consumes them in fire. And they did so by passing
0: by the curtain with angelic cherubim on it, and then they're consumed by the divine fire. It's kind of a reflection on what would have happened to Adam and Eve if they tried to just crash back into Eden.
1: Yeah, the fire and cherubim that God stationed at the boundary of Eden are represented by the altar fire and the cherubim on the door to the tent. So they go in doing what's good in their eyes and it does not go good for them. And so now you've got dead bodies inside the most sacred place dedicated to life and holiness and purity and goodness. It's a big problem there. (laughs) So what God says to Aaron uh, after that whole debacle is uh, first, hey, no drinking on this job. (laughs) No alcohol. No drinking alcohol when you come in to do your priestly duties. So that's one thing. Reason being is you need a right mind that's clear and is able to make sober and wise decisions mm. about two fundamental categories that are important for Leviticus and for the biblical story. And this is Leviticus 10, 10, 11. So that you can make a distinction between what is holy and what is common, between what is pure and what is impure. Now, watch this. What follows in Leviticus 11 through 15 is five long chapters about purity and impurity in particular. And it's all about how the priests are to teach the people about purity and impurity. We talked about that at length. Now, as Israel- This is like
0: the priests becoming like the health teachers. Yeah, totally. yeah that's right. <laughs> health class. Yeah, kind, yeah kind of.
1: <laughs> and also like their pastors. Slash pastors. Slash spiritual directors. <laughs> and so, but here's the thing, even if- Israelites learn how to honor the laws of purity and impurity. There's a lot of impurity surrounding this sacred tent dedicated to life. Impurity in the middle of an impure people. And so what God also provides climatically is the day of atonement. That once a year, all of the impurities and covenant betrayal and sin of Israel is atoned for. And that the tent is purified once a year from all of it, and you're like, okay, that purity-impurity thing, we've got a handle on how to deal with that. Hmm. But remember, God told Aaron that you need to teach the people about two binary sets. The first is purity and impurity, but Mm -hmm. there's another one. Back to Leviticus 10.10. So don't drink on the job so that you can make a distinction, not just between the pure and impure, but between the holy and the common. And that is the summary of Leviticus seventeen.
0: Mm. To the end of the book. So the third movement is all about separating between holy and common.
1: Holy and common. So what's interesting is movement two begins with a story that prepares you mm. for the whole rest of the book.
0: All of these new yeah. ancient laws, essentially. Yeah.
1: The the rules about purity and impurity, mm-hmm. and that launches Leviticus 11 through 16. And once impurity has a set of guidelines around it, we come back to Leviticus 10.10, and that we learn that the priests are also to teach the people about what is holy and common. And that's the main theme of the third movement of the book. So it's kind of cool. Chapter 10 literally
0: gives you the program. It's like a table of contents. It's like a little table of contents. So you do the pure and impure, but then we pause and we look at the day of the Lord. I'm sorry, not the the day of atonement. Yeah.
1: That was Freudian slip, wasn't it?
0: You're more right than you know. Really? I wondered as soon as I said that, if you were going to say that. Yeah. Oh, really?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is the day of the Lord in the prophets except a cataclysm? Mm. Cataclysmic collapse of the cosmos on the forces of evil, whoever they happen to be, but then a preservation of a remnant out the other side mm. to be the seed of a new, new humanity. <laughs> this is Isaiah. This is Jeremiah. This is Ezekiel. Did Hebrew Bible song,
0: it's so amazing. <laughs> anyway, yes, the Day of Atonement is much- Day of much, Atonement, yeah. and so we just talked about that. Yeah. And that's right in the center of the book. Mm-hmm. So we do the purity laws, Day of Atonement, and then on this back side of the book in the third movement, 17. we're focusing on yeah. holiness and yep. the profane yep. as the King James. Yeah, that's right.
1: It. Chapter 17 to 27, you know, right now, so this is a live project for me of discerning the literary design of this section. It's clear to me it's a section. It's clear to many other Hebrew Bible scholars too. 17 to 27 of Leviticus is a big climactic movement of the book. The debate is what is the intended literary organization within that section? Okay. And you can make a very persuasive case that there are three parts to this final movement. You can also make a really persuasive case that there's two. So I'm on the fence as of the day we're recording this conversation, and I hope to have more clarity on this in about a month or so after working on it more. But right now, I'm just going to go with three. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to talk about
0: it in terms of three Three sections. parts,
1: yeah. Leviticus 17 through 20 it does have a, a meaningful kind of organization and set of themes around it. What's interesting in this section, 17 to 20 of Leviticus, is it begins with a whole chapter on sacrifices and offerings.
0: And we've seen a lot of these so far.
1: Totally, but it, it echoes the first seven chapters of the book, okay, which are all about that. And chapter 17 opens with the similar language as chapter one began with. So that's cool. And then what 17, 18, 19, and 20 all focus on are guidelines specifically for the priests and all of the people. This is the first time in Leviticus where all the Israelites are addressed by God. Everything before has been either to Moses or to Aaron and his sons, the priests. So now we're moving out. Mm. The, this is now a calling that's going to be placed on all of the Israelites. The kingdom of priests. Yeah, we're back to kingdom of priests. And if you are doing like word counts, the words for holiness, just leap off the page mm. in the section. They're in pink in my study notes, and it's just like pink everywhere from all the way in this this final movement. And
0: we're not Mm -hmm. tracing holiness, though. We're not. But you could. You could. (laughs) Very easily, Um, it sounds like.
1: Because here's another factor for holiness, is the words for holiness are connected to God's commands. And this section is overwhelmingly dominated by the number seven in like every way you could imagine. (laughs) So there are seven sets of commands for the priests and the people in chapter 17 to 22, and then within chapter 18, 19, 20, 21, the middle of 21, first half of 22, the second half of 22, each of those has sets of laws that are all grouped together in numerals of seven, mm. usually two times seven, but sometimes three times seven. So 14 or 21. And that leads to the last part of this movement, which is chapters 23 through 27, and it begins with a discussion of the Sabbath on the seventh day, mm-hmm. then outlines the seven annual feasts of Israel, and then the seven lamps of the menorah that the priests are to light day and night, and then the Sabbath bread that's to go in to the tent, and then the seventh year of the release of the land, and then the seven times seventh year of the Jubilee. So you can feel the crescendo, mm. and this is a part of how the whole Leviticus scroll is. Architected on the pattern of Genesis one, building up to a climactic seventh, seventh day rest. Mm. So that's why we chose the Sabbath theme. Is seven is an organizing principle for chapters seventeen to twenty seven. Mm. And you, you could just summarize it this way: God has come to dwell among His people. The tent has been purified by the Day of Atonement.
0: Okay. By purified, you mean mm.
1: the tent has been. According to the logic of chapters 11 through 16, it's been vandalized, polluted by the sins and impurities of the Israelites. And so once a year, the day of atonement washes clean. It's a reset. It's a reset, yeah. And the sins that have polluted Israel and polluted the tent are exiled in the form of a goat that's sent out of the camp. Yeah, That having been accomplished, that's not the end of the story though. All that accomplishes is that God can live among his people. Yeah. But what's the purpose of God living among his people? So that they can be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Mm -hmm. Remember, that's the program.
0: Holy meaning set Set apart. Set apart to be in proximity and service. That's right. And if you're set apart to be in proximity to the source
1: of all beauty and goodness and justice and purity and life, then that's going to begin to transform every aspect of daily life among the israelites and that's why god starts to address all the people now and so what we're going to find here are laws about the daily lived communal experience of living in an ancient israelite village (laughs) or camp (laughs) and how people are to relate to god and how people are to relate to each other this is the section where jesus found the second most important command in the Torah, Mm. which is to love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, That line comes from Leviticus chapter 19. These are community guidelines. Yeah, yeah. So lots of rules around marriage, around sex, around treatment of the most vulnerable, especially the elderly, people with disabilities, the poor, the immigrant and orphans. Special focus on them in the way Israelite society was structured. Those were the groups of people that most often became vulnerable very quickly. There's going to be laws to safeguard the holiness of the priests among the people. And then there's going to be all woven into their lives, these rhythms of time and all in patterns of seven. These are the feasts. Yeah, the weekly Sabbath and then the monthly annual rhythms of Sabbath teach the Israelites that their lives and their time are not their own, that their whole existence as a people is dedicated to the purpose of becoming holy. Become holy as I am holy.
0: Quoting Jesus here.
1: Well, actually, and Jesus is quoting this section of Leviticus. Be holy as I am holy is a refrain in this this movement of Leviticus that Jesus riffs on in the Sermon on the Mount by saying, be complete as your heavenly father is complete. You use a different
0: word there because
1: (laughs) he... Well, our English translations say be perfect. Yeah. As your heavenly father is perfect.
0: And it's translating the word, what, Greek word teleos? Greek word teleos, yeah, which means complete. Is that the way you would translate the Hebrew word holy? No. It's the (laughs) way you translate the Hebrew word blameless. Blameless, oh, right, right,
1: right. right. Yeah, what Jesus is doing, that's a whole rabbit hole. We'll (laughs) we'll get there, yeah, I don't know, one day. So maybe we can talk about it. So that's this section of the book. This is the holiness charter for all the people of Israel. Mm. Now that God has come to live among his people, and that causes a crisis because there's a collision between God's holiness and purity and the impurity and death among Israel, Day of Atonement resolved that. So now what should it look like in the daily lived experience of Israelites? Mm. If the Holy One, the source of all life and goodness and beauty lives in the middle of our camp, Yeah. how should we live? Yeah. How should we treat each other? That's what this section is all about.
0: This is kind of what many people hope the Bible will be for them. Oh yeah, it's like a holiness charter, a holiness rule book. Yeah, like yeah. Okay. Tell me in my context. Give me all the goods. How do I totally. do this right? Give me the list of rules. The list of rules.
1: And so there's going to be rules in here, like don't oppress the immigrant.
0: You're like cool. I can use that one. Yeah.
1: Don't publicly shame a deaf person. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know. Great. Copy, paste. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) There are also going to be laws in this section, which are um, when you get an orchard, don't eat of the fruit for the first three years. Mm. Dedicate it as holy to Yahweh for the first three years. You're like, uh, okay, I guess. What do I do with that one? Yeah, don't get tattoos. Yeah. That one's in here. Oh, that's in here. Yep. Uh, Right now in our culture, hotly debated statements about sexuality are found in here. Statements about not having sex with animals are in here. So what we need to remember, all biblical literature is ancient literature. This is part of our paradigm.
0: Yeah, this is ancient literature.
1: It's ancient literature and it's wisdom for all later generations of God's people. So we are not the first audience of these commands. The audience of these commands are the ancient Israelites escaped slaves who were having their identity reformed in the transition between the bronze and iron age, (laughs) you know, in the ancient Near East. And these laws are dialed into that context. Mm. And so to simply copy and paste without doing your cultural background homework is likely lead in the long term or even in the short term to, I think, misapplication, misuse of these laws. So it's wisdom literature. There's divine wisdom for all of God's people of any place and any time, but we will hear that wisdom by learning to read these in context, literary context and ancient context. Mm. And you can see Jesus doing that. And you can see the apostle Paul doing that by how they draw upon a quote from this section.
0: You're talking about Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, especially doing that. Yeah, that's right. And Paul, when he, he did it kind of famously with don't muzzle the ox.
1: Yeah, he did it by quoting from a law in Deuteronomy about how to treat your animal. Yeah. And he takes that as a wisdom reflection on how to compensate leaders in a local house church. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which then Christians throughout history have taken as wisdom <laughs> for how to compensate clergy, clergy yeah. in other church structures. So we're all using the Bible as wisdom literature. The point is to become hyper aware of it. So what we're going to do in the rest of this conversation and then in the next two, I just want to camp us out in different parts to see how the themes of holiness and Sabbath are intertwined. Because mm. we might think of, well, Sabbath rest is just, you know, it's something you're supposed to do so you get a break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then also there's like, love your neighbors, yourself and be nice to people, mm-hmm. you know. But within the storyline of the Torah in Leviticus, the practice of Sabbath The practice of justice for the vulnerable, the practice of mercy and generosity, and of personal moral integrity, they're all bound together as one way of life with one story underneath them. And so Sabbath and holiness are really inextricable here. And uh, so that's kind of what I want to point out in this section. Okay, uh, real quick, let's just read or touch down on the opening section of this movement, Leviticus 17, verse 1. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, and speak to his sons, and speak to all the sons of Israel. So again, this is the first time in Leviticus that all the Israelites are being addressed. Say to them, this is what Yahweh has commanded. Anybody from the house of Israel who slaughters an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp, Or anyone who slaughters it outside the camp, but doesn't bring it to the door of the tent of meeting to give it as an offering to Yahweh in front of the dwelling place of Yahweh, that person
0: will be reckoned as a murderer. Whoa. So you're not supposed to slaughter animals other than for sacrifices. So this is to the Israelites in
1: the wilderness. We can't just take this out of narrative context. Okay. While they're in the wilderness, Uh traveling through the wilderness. There's one place to butcher animals. Yeah. Well, state it positively. Any animal that you do butcher, you need to present it first as an offering to Yahweh. And notice the list of animals, an ox, a lamb, or a goat. These are the three main categories of animals that are offered in all the offerings. Mm -hmm. So every life that you take to provide for yourselves, first... Surrender it as an offering to me before you get any of the meat in return. Is this a different type of offering? This isn't like... Yeah, it doesn't say what category of offering because there's four different kinds. Right. It just says, any time you slaughter an animal to provide for yourself as we travel through the wilderness, Mm. whether you do it outside the camp or inside the camp, first come and dedicate it to Yahweh. Is
0: this why we pray before meals? This is the (laughs) verse.
1: (laughs) Okay. All right. Let's keep going. So the reason, verse 5, is that so the sons of Israel bring their sacrifices that they were sacrificing out there in the wilderness. Oh, because a lot of shady sacrifices were happening out there. Mm -hmm. They need to bring all that to the doorway of the tent and sacrifice them as, oh, and then here we get the category. Sorry, I forgot about this, as a peace offering. Mm. Peace offering is one of the main offerings where most of the meat Mm. is
0: for the person offering That's right. And it's a way to kind of reconcile with each other.
1: yeah. Or it's a way to offer an animal to say thank you to God, but then you take the meat of the animal yeah. and you invite people and have a big party and say,
0: Yahweh is good. When you slaughter an animal in the ancient world, you're not putting it in a deep freezer. Totally. You're throwing a party and everyone's going to eat. That's right. Yeah. You kill it to have a party. And are you going to do that out in the, in the shady- wilderness? Parts of the wilderness yes, to some yeah. unknown God.
1: Yeah, that's right. Or are you going to do it here in the center camp? That's right. Okay. And here's the reason why. Verse seven so that they no longer sacrifice their sacrifices to the Seirim oh. that they prostitute with out there in the wilderness. So who's this? The Seirim. The Seirim? The Seirim. We talked about
0: what was the other guy? Azazel?
1: Azazel in the previous chapter. Leviticus 16 mentions a wilderness spiritual being named Azazel. The
0: powerful God.
1: Yeah, whose name, Azazel, means a powerful L, a powerful spiritual being, who is out in the wilderness and you send the goat <laughs> loaded with the sins of Israel yeah. out to him like a garbage truck. Yeah. Like, here, take the garbage. Toxic garb-
0: waste. Take our sins.
1: Take our garbage. You'll enjoy this. Send it back to where it came from. <laughs> so now we get an image in the next chapter this is a good meditation literature mm. technique mm. where you're like, "Who's Azazel?" and like, "What's that all about?" Mm-hmm. Well, in the next chapter, you find out. Like, well, you know, the Israelites have just been really tempted to go out to the wilderness and offer sacrifices out there to the Seirim. So the Seirim.
0: Seirim.
1: No, Seirim. Sorry, I've been unclear. Seirim.
0: <laughs> you're being clear. I just don't understand <laughs> how to say how do you it.
1: pronounce it? Tse- Se It's the, the word sa'ir. Sa'ir. Seir means goat.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Or it's the word for hairy. Oh.
0: And this is what like, Jacob and Esau? What Esau was called. Yeah.
1: And so to dress up like his Sa'ir brother, uh-huh. Jacob puts on the
0: animal skin of, of a, a se-ir. seir. That's right. So it's some sort of spiritual it's being. a spiritual being referred to as a goat. And when you put an "em" at the end of something like the seraphim... Mm -hmm. It's plural. Plural. Yeah, that's right. So lots of debate
1: about the seraphim, and they are mentioned as desert dwellers, dangerous desert dwellers elsewhere in the Hebrew Bible, where it seems like it's just referring to, like, goats who take up residence in the wilderness. But here, it seems like these goat figures refer to something more...
0: Yeah, so like I would be tempted as an ancient Israelite to go like, "Hey, let's go bring this animal out into the wilderness and sacrifice it yeah. to this goat god." It's thing. dangerous out there. Oh, where here let's we appease are. Appease the
1: danger gods. Yes, yes. Oh. here we are in this little camp, a little place of order yeah. with a little Eden at the center. But out there, it's dark, yeah. just dangerous. We've been out here for a long time, and Yahweh keeps providing for us: the sky goo bread, the manna. Yeah, what the what is it? from the skies and he'll lead us to oases but um you know we could cover our bases and appease the wilderness gods yeah we got the priests doing the yahweh thing let's go take care of the that's right so that's it so the israelites are tempted to shore up their own security Mm. by offering animals to the gods of the wilderness azazel and so Yahweh's like, okay, what, how do we deal with this? Okay, everybody, <laughs> any animal that ever gets killed for any reason. Mm, always bring him here. Yeah. So this whole narrative, when we're opening to the theme of sacrifices and offerings, so this is a link back to chapter one. Okay. But also now for the people, everything that I consume mm. first been dedicated to Yahweh, who is my sole security and, and provider. This is a habit Yahweh's... Asking the people to engage in, but it's a formative habit. Mm-hmm. And so you've made this joke about is this what praying before meals is about? But it, that's kind of true. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's, because, a, that's a wisdom
0: response to yeah.
1: this strange ancient law.
0: Yeah, because we don't have the temptation to go and sacrifice <laughs> <laughs> things to like goat demons. Sure. Per se. Yeah. But there is a propensity towards saying, okay, Yahweh provides, Mm -hmm. but I should cover my basis. That's right. Yeah. And I should make sure that I'm diversified in like all these other ways. Mm. And which means chasing after all sorts of other things. Yeah. Potentially.
1: Yeah. Even things that contradict my loyalty
0: to Yahweh. Yeah. I know that the way that I'm making money is a little shady. Hmm. But, you know, you got to butter your bread somehow. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Yeah. And it provides and it
1: allows me to do good things for my family and my community. Yeah. So what you're doing there is you're meditating on the core issue of the heart, right? The motivations of the heart of the Israelites that are exposed here. And you are creating a
0: wisdom principle. What does it it mean to bring everything to Yahweh first? That's right.
1: And so, this is why it sounds crazy, but like any animal that you don't dedicate to Yahweh and kill it to, and eat yeah, it- it's murder? Is like murder. This is like where Jesus quotes the law, the Ten Commandments, in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not murder. Yeah. And then he says, I tell you what, anybody who insults
0: their brother, yeah. saying,
1: you empty head, <laughs> will be guilty of murder.
0: <laughs> that was a Tim Mackey translation. Before the, oh <laughs> yeah. yeah. The empty head. Empty
1: head. Um. So where did Jesus get this idea that you could equate something that's not a capital crime with murder? Hmm. Well, yeah, I guess. Here we are. If you take the life of an animal, but use it in your own eyes and dedicate it to something that actually... You're improperly taking the life of the animal. Yeah, and you're dedicating the life of a precious animal to some force or ideology or something in the world that is actually... A part of the problem yeah,
0: that won't bring life, it actually brings death. Yeah, the, you know, the sacrificial system back then, there was a high respect for animals. Oh, totally. I mean, yes. these animals yeah. are like enacting this really important role for you, mm-hmm. and they're nourishing you. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason
1: why this improper sacrifice is akin to murder is in the next statement here, which is in Leviticus 17.11, which is another law about any Israelite who consumes blood. Oh. will be cut off from the people of Israel.
0: And this is kind of core to kosher law, draining the blood from the meat. That's right. Leviticus seventeen eleven: for the life of the flesh is
1: the blood. Yeah. And I, Yahweh, have given to y'all on the altar the blood to cover for and purify you mm. from your sins. It's because of the blood being the life. That's what makes it atone. So the blood is life. So don't consume the life of a creature as if it's yours. Mm. First, drain the blood from it on the ground. But if you do that, then you're like Cain, spilling blood on the ground. So what you do is you take that life and you dedicate it to Yahweh and you say, Yahweh, you gave this animal to me. This animal really belongs to you. Its life is yours, not mine. And I receive it as a gift. mm. And I take what you've given me as a gift and I have a party this is the peace offering the peace offering and I invite Mm. all the people around my tent and share with what God has given to me Mm. and that ritual forms you to see the world in a certain way that's different than just I can do what I want I can take the life of these creatures and dedicate it to some other loyalty yeah uh, that's what this chapter is about it's pretty profound So that's Leviticus 17. We haven't gotten to Sabbath yet. (laughs) Yeah, no. But it'll pay dividends for what happens after this. Okay. So what follows is a three-chapter unit, what we call Leviticus 18, 19, and 20. And it's a triad uh, organized as a symmetry. In fact, most of the rules articulated in chapter 18 are restated almost verbatim in chapter 20. Okay. It's like, wait a minute, I just read this. But it has this effect of surrounding chapter 19. And we'll just read the opening and closing of 18. Chapter 18 begins, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, I am Yahweh your God. You shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt where you lived, nor are you to do what is done in the land of Canaan where I'm bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. So you came from an empire,
0: that has their own rituals
1: that has their statutes Mm -hmm. their way of walking and you were going into a culture of canaan that has also an established way of living in the world Mm. and you are to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation so you are to perform my justice and my statutes live in accordance with them i am yahweh your god and so you shall keep my statutes and my justice because the human who lives by them will have life leviticus 18 5 paul the apostle loved this line he quotes it a few times in his letters okay so if people who follow the word of god who live by the will and command of god will have life i mean the garden of eden teaches you that story
0: this isn't just talking about the specific rules that yahweh is giving them in this context it's also reflection on this meta theme of when God gives a command, Mm -hmm. following the command brings life. Brings life.
1: Yep, that's right. And here, Yahweh's commands are set in contrast to the commands or the ways of life from Egypt and the way of life in Canaan. And so that's the frame for this list of rules about marriage and sex they're about to follow. Mm. So that's really important. Like you were joking earlier about, Oh, just copy and paste these rules. Mm -hmm. Well, Why are these rules stated the way that they are? They're in dialogue with active cultural practices and norms Mm. in both Egypt and in
0: Canaan. And they speak to a wisdom of how to act instead. That's right.
1: It's not that they have nothing to say to us, but what they say to us is through wisdom reflection, which might mean that we respond to this through a different surface expression of the command. Copying and pasting command might misdirect us Hmm. for how to respond to it as wisdom. So there's 14 laws that follow about people that it's inappropriate to have sex with. Hmm. And it's essentially drawing the boundary lines around the nuclear family, the extended family, and how many degrees out from aunts, uncles, second cousins, third cousins, is it appropriate to marry within? So this is a deep rabbit hole, but what's really fascinating here is God wants to safeguard the sexual integrity and reputation of his people because he's calling them to be fruitful and multiply. And that's one of the blessings of the covenant. But apparently there are more appropriate and less appropriate ways Mm -hmm. to do that as a community. And so these laws represent a way that honored the wisdom of Yahweh, but that's set in contrast to both Egyptian and Canaanite practice. So some of them might strike us as really strange, like, Don't sleep with your dad's wife. Let's say it's your stepmom. Don't marry your sister. Don't marry your father's wife's daughter. So every one of these has some kind of cultural issue in its ancient context that it's addressing, but that's what these 14 laws are about. Is this a Hebrew idiom? Okay, so this was fascinating. The phrase used for sex is the phrase to uncover the nakedness or to look upon the nakedness. Okay. It's a figure of speech.
0: Oh, is this why then with Noah's tent, it's kind of like, oh, something sexual is happening. Yeah. So
1: this is all parallel to after the cataclysm of the flood and God delivers the family of Noah. Noah plants a garden with a tent in the garden. He eats the fruit of the garden, gets drunk and exposed, Mm -hmm. and then his son comes in and the phrase is, looks upon the nakedness of his father. Mm. So... If you read Leviticus 18, verse 7, do not uncover the nakedness of your father, namely the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. Don't uncover her nakedness. Mm. In other words, to look upon the nakedness of your father here is a figure of speech for having sex with your own mom. That's his wife. So to sleep with your mom is to expose the nakedness of both your mom huh. and your dad, because it's... His wife, and she's his husband. Okay. So this is a great meditation literature example. So
0: now you go back to that story and you're like, oh.
1: Oh, yes. In other words, it's a puzzle. It's a riddle. Yeah. Back in Genesis chapter nine, mm. and the key to the riddle, you don't come across till Leviticus chapter 18.
0: <laughs> and is that because we're not native Hebrew thinkers, or is this like a really obscure Hebrew idiom?
1: Oh, well, just within the collection of the Hebrew Bible, it's the idiom that's used right here and then there. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it also makes sense of why after Noah's son does that, it's Noah's grandson, Canaan, through Ham, that bears the consequences of Ham's sin. In other words, Ham wrongs his father Mm -hmm. by looking upon his nakedness, but it's Ham's grandson, Canaan, that bears the brunt. Oh. Canaan.
0: Where they're going to be going.
1: Where they're going. And God just said, don't act like Canaanites. Mm -hmm. That's what this chapter is about. Mm. So don't sleep with your mom like the Canaanites do. And what is Genesis 9 about but a guy named Ham who does this to his dad. Origin story of Canaan. It's the origin story of Canaan. Interesting. Yeah. So that's Leviticus 18. Two other things I want to draw attention to here. One is... Chapter twenty-one, which illuminates a little bit more the mysterious Azazel and the goat demons. Verse twenty-one. Verse twenty-one. Yeah, of chapter, chapter 18. eighteen. Yeah, you shall not give any of your children or offspring to offer them up to Molech, and so profane the name of your God. I am Yahweh.
0: Hmm. Here's another Elohim. Yeah. In the mix.
1: Yeah, except this time it's not offering an animal. It's yeah. sacrificing children. Child sacrifice. Yeah. yeah. So the identity of Molech is a big rabbit hole. It's spelled with the same letters as the Hebrew word melek, which is the word king. Mm. And it's for sure some sort of deity that claimed to have royal authority to demand the life of people's children if you want to have this
0: deity on your side. Likely a Canaanite deity? Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Yeah. And again, the rabbit hole's deep on... Molech, and why that title it seems like a title mm. so offering up your children as a sacrifice profanes the name of your god so you're an israelite people look at you and say oh those are the people of yahweh oh but they sacrificed their kids to Molech too oh okay so people will see you and the name of yahweh will be considered like the name of any other deity mm because you can worship Molech, you can worship Yahweh. It's cool. It's like a degrading of Yahweh's reputation. Mm -hmm. So it's just important because this chapter isn't just like rules about sex and then there's rules about worship. This is all about not living like an Egyptian or a Canaanite. It's about how your family is structured. It's about your sexual ethic. It's about what you do with your animals. It's about what you do with your children. It's all woven together as one thing here. So that's chapter 18. Mm -hmm. There's other things we could explore there. And it's matched on the other side by chapter 20. And then in the middle is chapter 19, Leviticus 19. So let's just read some of these. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel. Say to them, Y'all shall be holy because I, Yahweh, your God, am holy. Become like me. Every one of you,
0: Become a source of life and light like oh, I am a source yeah, of life. Yeah, and light. Yes. yeah, yes. Become like me. Hmm. Yeah. Isn't that interesting?
1: I mean, it makes sense if these people are living near the fire cloud mm-hmm. of Yahweh's glory and life and light, that they would begin to take on the characteristics of that, like Moses did up on Mount Sinai. Yeah. Verse 3, Every one of you shall fear his mother and father. You're like, oh, that kind of sounds like Ten Commandments.
0: Mm. Honor your father and mother. Yep. But here the word's fear? Fear, yeah. So fear and honor is a synonym. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Fear your father and mother and keep my Sabbaths. I am Yahweh, your God. You should not make any idols or any molten gods. I am Yahweh, your God. Those are three of the Ten Commandments right there, but reworded here. Mm. So honoring... Your parents who are images of God to you, keeping the Sabbaths plural and not making any idol images of God. So it's a little sandwich. We're quoting the three of the 10 commandments, but we reordered them mm-hmm. to create a little symmetrical sandwich hmm. here. So fear your parents who are images of God to you, matching that. On the other side is don't make any images that are your own making. And then in the middle is. Make sure you keep my Sabbaths.
0: Right in the middle is the Sabbath. Yes. Hmm. It's an important, important idea, Sabbath. (laughs) Apparently. Apparently.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I'm just trying to put the picture, like we might read a section of a book like this and be like, okay, random rules for being holy, I guess. It
0: does feel often when you're reading through these, like, wow, this is random.
1: Yeah. So yeah. So I'm just trying to sample different sections and see they're all cohesive Mm -hmm. together. This is about forming a contrast community Mm -hmm. that's different than Egypt, different than Canaan. It's the people of Yahweh. So These are not the people of Molech. These are the people of Yahweh. And these are people who honor the sexual dignity of every other member of the community in a very unique way, to a degree that their neighbors were not doing. Mm -hmm. These are people who dedicate everything they have to Yahweh, Even every meal, every Mm -hmm. food, all Mm -hmm. their food. These are people who honor their parents. They don't give their loyalty to the gods that we all here in Canaan think are normal. And man, they even surrender all of their time to Yahweh by resting every seventh day. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Why would you do that? There's work that needs to be done. There's fields. There's sheep that need to be tended. You're just gonna let them graze the field an extra day, and not
0: (laughs) move them around.
1: Yeah. So I guess what's cool about this section of Leviticus is that Sabbath is woven into all these other commands. And just you know, Leviticus 19 is worth: when you reap the harvest of your land, don't uh, harvest the corners of the field, but leave the corners. Don't milk your land for maximum profit. Leave whole sections of it so that the vulnerable in your community can come and generate value and work and earn a living too. Mm. So that's Leviticus 19 alongside don't steal. Right. Don't deal falsely. Some more 10 commandments. Mm -hmm. Don't oppress your neighbor. Don't withhold the wages of somebody that you've hired. Don't curse someone who's deaf. Mm. Don't take advantage of the blind. Mm. Do justice in judgment. Don't be partial to the poor or the rich. Don't hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. Don't take vengeance. Don't bear a grudge, but love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. And then keep going. These lists continues and it culminates again down here in verse 30. You shall keep my Sabbath and honor my sanctuary. I am Yahweh. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's this theme if I had more time in my life, I always struggle with time scarcity, (laughs) but I've always wanted to go and just take like a few months and just read all of like the classic Greek philosophers. I've just kind of know I'm in hodgepodge, but so as I understand, and maybe there's probably listeners of the podcast, you're like, this is your jam. But as I understand it, a big motif in classical Greek philosophy was striving for a fully integrated life where every decision you make is directed by some core principle that you've determined your life is about. I guess it's very similar to like inspirational speakers today, (laughs) 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 but it's how to make your life fully integrated so that everything you do with your time, your energy, your money, your relationships is all in service of some. It's all working
0: towards the goal. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I just, And I know it's a temperamental thing, you know, some temperaments are more like that than others. My wife's kind of like that Mm. in some ways, but not in others. And I'm kind of like that in other ways and not in some, and then ours are mismatched. (laughs) (laughs) But that's essentially like what a section of Leviticus like this is about. These might seem all disparate and random, but Mm. they're really all in service. Love God and love your neighbor as an image of God. But the way that translates into every aspect of life, each law gives us this wisdom principle. And the Sabbath is a key piece here that's going to just keep ramping up in importance as you read throughout this section of the book. But that's at least what I'm reflecting on at this point in our conversation.
0: Say that back to you. These can feel like a hodgepodge, but there is a coherent symmetry and order and logic behind how they're presented within the narrative and even within themselves. Yeah. But then also it's a big selection of just like all of life. That's right. And it's giving you wisdom for how to live in right relationships with people. Yeah. In like this coherent, integrated way. Yeah. Coherent incomplete. complete in that
1: I forgot to mention this. Chapter 18 has two times seven laws. Mm-hmm. Chapter nineteen has three times seven laws. Chapter twenty has two times seven laws. So we're seven clearly times seven laws. Yeah, for a total of seven times seven laws. So we're clearly selecting
0: from some larger body yes. of laws. This isn't the entire covenant yeah. law code that they would have had. Yeah, these are selections. That's right. In this section, even repeat some. Mm-hmm. So instead of giving <laughs> you the complete list, yeah, yeah, they chose to repeat certain ones. Yeah. To make a certain point. In Patterns of Seven,
1: which is a common Hebrew way of making a complete statement about something. And in the middle of that block of seven times seven laws, in the beginning and ending of chapter 19, is keep my Sabbath, which is leveled up just as much importance as doing justice to your neighbor and sexual integrity and dedicating everything you have to Yahweh. Is
0: Is resting every seventh day. Yeah. Yeah. Dedicating the time that you have mm. um, to to Yahweh. Yeah, because if you're going to be fully integrated, one big block mm. mm-hmm. that you need to integrate Yes, is your time. How you think of just yes. <laughs> being a human living through time.
1: Yeah, yeah. Who or what determines how you use your time, spend your time, invest your time. <laughs> it's all from the time. Time is a metaphor. Time is money. Time is money. Metaphor. So... We haven't talked about everything that we could talk about here, but it introduces the Sabbath theme, the section, Leviticus 17 through 20. Everything's organized in sevens, and then that intensity of the number seven is just going to keep ramping up to the final part of the book, which we'll look at next, which is all about honoring not just the Sabbath, but the seven annual feasts, and then the seventh year, and then the seven times seventh year, and all of a sudden huge amounts of your life your entire lifetime yeah is dedicated to yahweh in cycles of time mm. and this is a whole part of what it means to be a kingdom of priests and a nation that is holy set
0: apart for the service of yahweh Thanks for listening to this episode of Bible Projects Podcast. Next week, we continue reading the third movement of Leviticus. If the tabernacle represents an actual piece of real
1: estate, this belongs to Yahweh. And in this space, he will take up residence and fill it with his presence, and I can go there and meet with him. In the same way, there's set times that are appointed to meet with Yahweh, because Yahweh fills that time in a unique way, and I can find God there in that time. In a special way.
0: Today's show was produced by Cooper Peltz, edited by Dan Gummel and Tyler Bailey, show notes by Lindsey Ponder. Ashlyn Heiss and Mackenzie Buxman provided the annotations for our annotated podcast in our app. Bible Project is a crowdfunded nonprofit. We exist to experience the Bible as a unified story that leads to Jesus. Everything that we make is free because of the generous support of thousands of people just like you. So thank you for being a part of this with us. Hi, this is Coleman and I'm from Georgia. Hello, this is Charles and I'm from the Philippines. I first heard about the Bible Project around two years ago when I was starting out my walk with God. I first heard about the Bible
1: Project at my church. I use the Bible Project for whenever I'm explaining the scriptures. My favorite thing about the Bible Project is how relatable the drawings are. It's a creative guide for us to go deeper in our relationship with God. We believe that the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus.
0: We are a crowdfunded project by people like me.
1: Find free videos, study notes, podcasts, classes, and more at BibleProject.com.